Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. And I'm Tom. And we are Team Binge. And we are here, finally, <laughs> after years and years of waiting, anticipating, <laughs> Tom and I are here to talk about The Rings of Power, Episode 1. Feels like it's been like nine hours since we've uh, done Lord of the Rings things. <laughs> I get it. I get your joke. I get your joke. <laughs> Anyways, most of the world's watching this show because it's had such a global, like, I don't know, advertisement footprint, and obviously everyone mm-hmm. loves Lord of the Rings, so it does feel like it's one of the bigger shows that's come out in recent uh, times, and it's funny that it's kind of playing against the Game of Thrones coming back. Like, I'm assuming mm-hmm. they time those things to be, like around the same time to compete against each other is it like dante it's like uh, dante's peak and uh whatever volcano. the other volcano movie was that I'm armageddon assuming. and deep impact yep all of those this is the deep impact and armageddon of our times which is i do think power. hbo just released the episode one of house of dragon or whatever on uh youtube for free like on the same day that um this Lord of the Rings one came out. And so I think they're definitely probably jabbing at each other. But be, like to your point, though, this is Amazon. It's everywhere. It's on advertisements online. I've seen multiple ads on TV. And I think we've misspoke, or at least I've misspoke. I thought they threw a half a billion dollars at it. It's a billion, like in the triple comma club here of a TV show, which is bananas for eight episodes of television. But um, it certainly shows it. This thing does look gorgeous. Do you think people, because of the show, are discovering Prime Delivery for the first time? They're like, oh, I really want to see that show. And then they're like, this stuff gets delivered in two days. How have I ever lived without this? Speaking of rings of power, having things delivered in two days, that's a ring of power. And by the way, we're not sponsored by Amazon. So I don't think that that little joke uh, gained us anything uh, other than renown. Um if anything, it cost us. Yeah, it probably did. <laughs> I think there are two ways we can go about watching this show, Tom, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. We can go deep dive nerd stuff into this, this which requires a lot of, I don't know, research and time that neither of us have. And the <laughs> second part of it, is to go in as let's go with option like, two. Yeah, let's go. I haven't heard option two, but I like option two. <laughs> we go into this as like fans of the original series, fans of the books, fans of the stories. And having watched the first episode, I kind of felt like I don't know that I need all that foreknowledge and stuff to like go into this mm-hmm. show. I, I think it is because it's taking place in the second age, well before the original The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Like, there's some character overlap, but the characters are essentially unrecognizable to how you would know them Mm -hmm. from the beginning. So I guess what I would say is, like, people that are like, well, you know, I didn't really love Lord of the Rings, so I'm not going to give this a go. I think it's probably still worth watching just as, like, a show on its own. And once again, Tom and I have only watched the first episode at this point. We're going to talk about each one as they come out, although the second one is out at this point. Uh, we'll watch it and pot about it. But we're going to focus on the first episode. And I guess that's how I kind of thought of approaching it, like just taking it as a series where there's some overlap. I mean, there is some nerd stuff that I'll talk about because that's just how my mm-hmm. brain works. 
But like <laughs> having watched the first episode, my thought was kind of like, I think you just take this as its own like fantasy series. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, I think it absolutely does. And I think there's a lot of tie-ins with Lord of the Rings. I think just the character development is different. Um, but it follows so many of the same beats and like the heart and soul of Tolkien's work. So I think there's a lot of like um, conclusions that we can kind of uh, draw based off of the original movies that we just rewatched and potted on. Uh, but I'm with you. Like I, I don't need to go deep dive into the maps, even though they do kind of show them on here, which I think is always cool because it really helps the audience like kind of know where you are in the world because it is so expansive. But yeah, I mean, we'll we'll. I mean, you've read the Silly Marlin, right? You've been reading that recently. Silmarillion, yes. It is like yeah, reading the silly Marlin. A... <laughs> the silly Marlin. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. All right. It's, yes, it's a very sea. <laughs> it's a very sea-oriented book. Uh, I've been working my way through the Silmarillion for the second time in my life. I forgot how much it's like a history textbook. It's very dense. And um, please don't at me. Don't send me emails about how good <laughs> it is. It's interesting. It's good. But it like it takes some dedication to like mm-hmm. roll through it unless you're a person that really loves fake history. Um, but let, let's start here, Tom. You've watched the first episode. We went into this like I read some reviews, but I tried to avoid a lot of stuff because I guess the way I felt was, you know, people that like fantasy series are probably going to like it. It's tough to spend a billion dollars on something and it not to be OK. <laughs> and then the other mm-hmm. part of me is like, hey, the diehard Tolkien people are going to just like look for angles and stuff to kind of. I don't know, use against it um, as Morgoth Mm -hmm. and his Lieutenant Sauron would do. So, I mean, first impressions. You you watched the first episode. Like, how'd you feel? I liked it. I was, and I think I kind of knew this going in because I did read some like early reviews of the people that got to do the pre-screenings. And it is definitely slow. Like they're trying to set up these kind of four, I guess three main storylines right now with the elves uh, the Harfoots and humans. And there's a lot of nuance, a lot of stuff kind of going on. And I think you find yourself getting really intrigued in one of the stories and then they do an abrupt cut to one of the other ones, which isn't to say the other ones are necessarily bad, but it's just tough to really like sink your teeth in when you have three stories um, kind of overlaying each other in an hour. Sure. But like you mentioned, the, the thing just, it feels like it's in uh, Tolkien's world. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. The CGI is absolutely on point. Um, it's just expanding on everything we've we've seen from Jackson's work and just making this universe even more impressive. And I think what I did read is, you know, this, and they kind of mentioned it in some of the little, like, um, you know, overlay voice work, uh, like Galadriel's talking about, like, hey, we've been searching for centuries. So I think they, they took a lot of stuff within the Sil- Silmarillion and had it condensed so they can tell a more overarching story and not have to wait, like, literally centuries for other characters and stuff to you know for humans to die in die out or whatever elves would live for a while but again overall i i liked it but it was a little bit slower for me sure how about you i liked it i don't feel like i had the same like slowness that you felt okay because i'm taking it as hey it's a first episode they've got to establish a lot i never felt myself like other than the fact that I was tired when I watched it and I felt like on my second rewatch, it moved at a good pace. Like, I don't feel like Mm -hmm. it was slow in that way, but I do think it's one of these shows where they're taking on so much that you kind of have to uh, stick with it and and, uh, not go to your phone. 
which is something <laughs> we all we all struggle with. But to your point, it looks great. It's one of these shows where like fantasy series, like the thing that like throws them off for me is if they have a low budget and they're trying to make things happen and make them look cool and they just don't have the budget to pull it off. This show obviously mm-hmm. has the budget to pull it off, <laughs> so it does look great. So just from like a visual standpoint, um, it, it, it's cool. I mean, we essentially follow like three main characters or, or it feels like this is what they're establishing, which is Galadriel, Nori, the Heartfoot, and then Andriel and uh, Browen, like that storyline. So to your point, we are mm-hmm. flipping between those three. But the one it focuses on for the most part is Galadriel in this opening. And they've taken a character where like, once again, you know her from the original, but you don't know her when she's young. You don't know her history unless you've mm-hmm. dove into the books. And I don't even know if the books go into as much detail as the show is going. I think I feel like the show was like, hey, let's expand this character out and, you know, make her warrior Gladriel, which is super cool to watch. And I'm I'm glad they did it. But that that's kind of the focus of this. And so at this point, I think it's best. Let's just do our thing, Tom. We're going to run through the summary and uh, give some some impressions and thoughts and go from there. Love it. Let's do it. We open, as all shows should, with children being mean to one another. <laughs> We've got Galadriel as a as a child in some sort of weird, like, whittle a car and run it down a track to beat other children. What's it called? What's that called, Tom? When Like in the Boy Scouts where you have to make oh, your... Oh, Pinewood Derby? Yeah, she's doing a Pinewood Derby, but with a uh, <laughs> boat made of paper. There's a kid that's like, you're never going to make that float. And I was like, I, I don't know, kid. Paper boats is a thing. Like, uh, maybe, I don't know. I didn't feel like that kid was all that well educated, but he's probably 4,000 years old, so who knows? She makes a sweet, sweet boat, and the kids throw rocks at it, which was super mean. Mm-hmm. And then she goes to beat up a kid. And they're trying to, like, they're like, listen, Galadriel, she's competitive. She'll murder someone. Like, this is who she is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then we get uh, the pep talk from the brother, whose name is Finrod. And so I will point out, reading the Silmarillion, there are a lot of names here that are like important to Elvalor, and like Finrod is definitely one that you recognize. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he doesn't last long in this series. It seems <laughs> no. <laughs> He's a uh, catalyst for Galadriel to like become who she is. Right. Right. She's the bats in the cave that she falls (laughs) into. And then her butler's like, why do we fall? (laughs) And then she's like, oh, to stab people with your dagger. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But there's a discussion of how a boat works, Tom. And this is this is where I I had some questions about the science in Elfland. (laughs) Yeah, they give a little bit, and again, it's it's kind of like whimsical, and it's just so they can kind of have this scene at the end. But he talks about how stone sees downward into darkness, where a ship sees up and is fixed upon the light that guides her. So again, it's it's poetic. It's I think like a lot of Tolkien's kind of work. It's uh, kind of glamorous for the sake of being glamorous, and then comes in later. Uh, but uh, I, I do I, I like how Galadriel kind of questions it, and she kind of like. Like, how, how do I know which way is going to be the light? Because there can be light reflecting in both directions. And this is where we kind of get the little muted whisper of Finrod actually kind of saying, which I guess we won't say it here. We can kind of save it to the end. Um, but kind of allows Galadriel to 
take take this like idea of light versus dark and expand on it a little bit and just because you know hey you're on a ship and you're going to i was gonna say valhalla where it's not valhalla where, where are they heading at the end valinor valinor yeah um that's not necessarily always the path that you have to follow so i, I like that kind of juxtaposition and the way they tie that in at the end of the episode oh i didn't even i didn't even think of that but you've made a brilliant you've made a brilliant correlation <laughs> that I didn't even give much thought to. And I think we can talk about whatever we want, Tom, because if people are with us right now, I'm assuming they've <laughs> already watched this episode and they know that there's a callback to this conversation where we find mm-hmm. out what he does whisper, which is sometimes we cannot know until we touch the darkness. And I really feel like Metallica or like Led Zeppelin should have played during this moment. <laughs> But instead, they right. just got the beautiful soundtrack that I think the guy's name's like Bear McCleary or something like that. He doesn't. The music in the show is great. Like I enjoyed all mm-hmm. of it. They each each culture kind of has their own theme, which you'll talk about later. But I enjoy mm-hmm. the music. But always could do with some more Led Zeppelin when talking about <laughs> touching the darkness. You know, I did For appreciate sure. his his point where he's like, she's like, it's that simple, and he's like, most important truths are simple and i was like oh yeah that's mm-hmm. good that's good finrod's mm-hmm. dagger which oh <laughs> when the boat is pulled from the water finrod does not pull the boat out of the water with his hand he stabs it with <laughs> his dagger and pulls it out of the water and i was like oh maybe they're dealing with some sort of contaminated like paper or water situation and he doesn't want it to touch his elf hand but they just as many times as possible and once again, I, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the show. The things that I'm going to poke fun at are just like, I don't know, like kind of movie trope or show trope stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're like, listen, we want you to look at this dagger as much as possible to the point where <laughs> cynical me was like, are they selling this dagger online right now? And I Googled it. And unfortunately, Cold Steel hasn't come out with a, uh, ga- uh, a Finrod's dagger yet. Although I googled uh, Galadriel's dagger, so maybe it is Finrod's dagger. There's still a chance, Tom. Mm. We may be getting daggers. Okay. <laughs> and then I think it kind of jumps into like a, I don't know, like some voice work from Galadriel, kind of talking about like we thought our light would never dim, and then this kind of, I think, plays on like what happens for centuries of Morgoth kind of coming and doing his destruction, which is not what this series is about, but says like he destroyed the light of their home. Um, and then you just see these massive trees in the background of this elven paradise just fade to black. And I was kind of like, okay, but do you know more about that? Like what happened? How did this tree fade? What is the tree's power? Like, can you tell me more about that since you're reading the silly Marlin? (laughs) All right. If you're going to say that every time, it's going to throw me off every time. All right, I am reading the Silmarillion. I am not a scholar. If you're here for Tolkien scholarly stuff, please <laughs> please depart this world uh, and take yourself back to Valinor. No, there's a there were two trees that were created in like the beginning of time, and they like there's a gold one and a silver one, and then at one point Morgoth, who is um, obviously the evil, he was like one of the original people that was created by you know, for lack of a better word, because I can't pronounce the name. It's like a Louvatur or something like that. You know, uh, say like God created these eternal beings in the beginning. Morgoth was one of them. Morgoth's the first guy that's like, you know what? I'd like to be God and like be powerful. (laughs) And like, he's the one that 
as everyone else is singing in harmony, he's like, I'm going to make my own harmony. And that's where like pride and the evil comes from in this world, which mm. um, I mean, there's probably some life lessons to dig out of that a little bit. But Morgoth uh, creates Ungoliant, Ungoliant. I don't know how to say it, but it's like a giant spider. <laughs> uh, and with Morgoth, okay. they attack the two trees of Valinor. Uh, they stab it. The big spider drinks it. What I think is funny is Ungoliant. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Tom. <laughs> I've nailed it. Um, what's fun is reading a book and never having to pronounce a name out loud and then going <laughs> to have to pronounce it out loud and be like, oh, my brain hears that much differently than my mouth forms words. <laughs> But what's funny is that creature becomes so evil that Morgoth is kind of intimidated by it. And so they have kind of a a breaking of. But I think that's typically what happens with evil people when the gain is or the uh, thing -hmm. they're going for is ultimate power. It's certainly difficult to share it. But anyways, Mm -hmm. they stab those trees. And eventually the white tree of Gondor, which is so prevalent in Lord of the Rings, um, comes from like the descendant of the fruit of these trees. So... These are like okay. the um, trees that provi- provided light and goodness in the early times, and Morgoth destroyed them. So that's what they gotcha. that's what they did there. Hopefully that cleared it up. If it didn't, you can email Tom <laughs> at teambenchpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate that. That, that helps because, again, like I know this is not what the series is about. It's kind of the rise of Sauron and the rings or anything else, but they kind of just glossed over that really quickly and didn't necessarily tell us, like, why Morgoth is like the big bad, but I think right. it's on purpose because they don't want Morgoth to be the big bad. They want it to be Sauron. Right. And then we cut to, and this whole time, this is Galadriel giving us the, giving us the, uh, the background, which is mm-hmm. great to have Galadriel as a universal narrative in all of these shows. But the elves leave Valinor, which is like the glorious unending, like there's no death there. Um, mm-hmm. You live forever. It's glorious. They travel from there to middle earth. There's a bunch of fights, some wars with Morgoth and the orcs, and then they learn what death is. Uh, we get that cool scene, which looks like it's out of the 300, where she's stacking helmets <laughs> in a giant, and we see her brother uh, being killed on a field against... All this is shot really well. Like, it's super cool looking. Yeah, super cool. Mm-hmm. She introduces, like, Morgoth's lead sorcerer lieutenant named Sauron, um, we find out that Sauron killed Galadriel's brother, uh, Finron, and left some sort of symbol uh, carved into him, which mm-hmm. I was like, why do we need to discern that? Like, didn't he just, like, I don't know, stab him and brand <laughs> him? How's that going to... Anyways, the symbol is kind of a through, through thread through the show. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you, but I don't know. I wouldn't dig too deep. The thing uh, lights on fire <laughs> if you stare at it too much. Probably not a great thing to... Maybe leave that one alone. But one thing I did want to yeah. point out is is the elves leave Valinor. Like, there is a... Um, once again, this is like themes that run through Tolkien. Is Like, the reason they essentially leave Valinor is some of them feel like they are more powerful than the gods or want to be more powerful than the mm-hmm. gods and feel like they're being, like, kind of hemmed in. Uh, and so that's why they depart. So they gloss all over that. They gloss over this all in the history. Once again, this mm-hmm. is not a show about that. But I just thought it was interesting that like the through line for Tolkien is people thinking that they want to be all powerful, and that's what leads to the you know evil in the world, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a, you mentioned the symbol. I think that being a through line. 
I feel like that's almost just like the new eye of Sauron. Like they're giving him a symbol and maybe it's going to have some sort of, you know, deeper meaning or something later, but it is cool and menacing. And like the way that Galadriel can kind of track it on different things is, is kind of fun. Um, and then I think this is where we see Galadriel kind of take her brother's dagger, kind of stealing it without asking. I mean, I know the guy's dead, but she just stole it from his hands. Figured, you know, a guy might need to be buried with it, but I don't know how elf stuff works. Yeah, but I yeah. guess it's the idea of passing of the torch, right? He's not going to make it. He's not going to make it to um, the, uh, I don't know, wherever their heaven is, unless he's got that dagger yeah. in his hand. He's like just at the gates, and then the, ha- the <laughs> dagger disappears. And God's like, nope, send him away, St. Peter. And uh, Finrod's like, no. And then, I don't know, he goes to like the seventh circle of hell or something. Who knows how it all works. Yeah. But yeah, you're it's right. It's your heaven passport. Your password, that sweet dagger. <laughs> then we go on Sauron hunting, which is mm. you know I think there's a lot of like visual and cool stuff that goes through through watching her watching her do this. And anytime someone in a Lord of the Rings uh, series says they're going to go hunting something, whether or not it be Sauron <laughs> or orcs, I'm always on board. For sure, I think this is where we get the exposition about like you know they've been hunting for centuries and that. The idea of Sauron as a threat has just almost faded from memory because people that were alive to see, I guess not necessarily the elves since they live a pretty long time, um, but like men and other like dwarves, things like that, don't really see him as a threat anymore because they weren't alive when he, you know, had his reign. So I mean, this is again neat, I like the lore of elves because like they don't forget they're going to keep, especially Gladril, she's going to keep tracking and trying to find him until she's sure that this evil has been uprooted. Uh, but other people have just let it fade from memory. Here's where I think the show, once again, I'm not Peter Jackson. I'm not Tolkien. Um, I'm barely even me. Here's the deal. I <laughs> like, since we know the series, like we know Sauron's coming back and it's mm-hmm. kind of like, they make it out to be, she's the only one that's like being vigilant and she's continuing to hunt him. But like, I almost felt like what they should have done is like not dropped his name, maybe just talked about Morgoth, and then at the end of the episode, we find out like the the one she's hunting is Sauron. Does that make sense? Like mm. because like yeah. in my mind it's like I know he's coming, I know she's in the right, everyone else is in the wrong, but it uh, I don't know. It, it, it was it's kind of like we all know what the issue is and we're on her side and everyone else. <laughs> and so you just kind of roll your eyes at everyone else because they're like, oh, he's gone. The evil's gone. And we're all like, no, the evil's not. Don't you remember when Elijah Wood and Rudy had to take <laughs> that ring to that mountain? But I, don't I feel know. like it's like classic hero stuff, right? Like they have to be told it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And they have to overcome that initially. So I feel like that's kind of what they're probably playing at here. Sure, sure. We then cut to, I can't wait to pronounce every name in this show, <laughs> Forod Waith, for, for, Forod Waith, the northmost <laughs> waste. Man, this is, the best part is we're recording this, and years from now my children will listen, and they'll get a good laugh. <laughs> but we get some ice climbing, Tom. Yeah, which definitely gives me some, like, Game of Thrones, like, the wall vibes um, kind of popping up and down here, but it's still a sweet visual. Oh, definitely. And this was one that like they heavily used it in the in the trailer. The I think like mm-hmm. one of the first shots I saw of the show was her jumping and stabbing the dagger into the ice. 
which mm-hmm. is super cool. And that dagger has a lot of uses. I don't know if you noticed right here, but once they get to the top, <laughs> she pulls out a map and she uses the dagger to point at the map. And what's great is she's not showing the map to anyone. She's looking at the map and she's like, I'm going to use this dagger to point at this map. And I was like, all right, they really want us to buy Galadriel's dagger or Finrod's dagger or whatever it is. True, true. I mean, it's a pretty sweet looking dagger. It does have a hilt, though. I don't know if it's a great thing to be like jabbing into ice. Like, what if your hand just like slips, slips through forward. and then onto the blade? Doesn't seem great. That's great. Yeah, take that up with the the, the blacksmith um, who's got, I don't know, Tom, <laughs> 8,000 years of metalworking knowledge. <laughs> Go question that guy's work. Real real uh, Monday morning quarterbacking of the blacksmith. <laughs> Speaking of hands and how they get cut off, Galadriel's right-hand man, who I don't know that we learn his name. He's the like second-in-command. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to turn out to be a bad guy. He had kind of that menacing um, look about him. But he's like, listen, Mm -hmm. we need to turn back. My elf ears are cold. (laughs) Yeah, he's got some Legolas vibes, which is staring off in the distance. I guess at least he's making eye contact with Caladriel when he's saying these poetic lines. But I do like he's like, how long can living flesh endure when even sunlight fears to tread? Like it's pretty sweet looking line. But uh, yeah, he's he's got a cool look, uh, cool little captain. And this is the first sign that we get that Galadriel's kind of on her own mission here. Her her men are loyal to her and following her, uh, but not necessarily on board with continuing this hunt. Right, and they are walking through a blizzard, and I think this was in the trail, the last trailer, right? The last trailer they released. They oh showed yeah. This scene. This was super funny because it's so po- like it's very dramatic in the trailer. Like somebody falls in the back, and she's like, "No, we keep moving." And then that's where it cuts in the trailer and it goes to something else epic. But then in the actual show, somebody like a guy says, hey, can you please stop? She's like, all right, <laughs> <let's> stop. <laughs> and then she actually stops and then they find out, oh, we're already here. It was kind of funny. Yep. And we get a good leadership moment. She takes off her own cloak and she puts it around the around the person. Seconds ago, she was going to leave that person behind to die in the <laughs> snow. But to make up for it, she's like, here is my cloak. And now you look like a rock whenever you lay on the ground because that's what elven cloaks do i did think this was all sure. shot really well like uh, i mean it just looked good to your point this is one of those shows where you know i think if we watch it again in 20 years it'll still look good just like the oh, lord of the sure. Rings movies we then mm-hmm. wind up in some weird like old snow tower she's like we're here i found this on the map where i pointed my dagger and <laughs> she walks in and it looks like like a she She's kind of the Sherlock Holmes of finding Sauron. <laughs> She's like, I don't know. She like picks up a piece of something in the cave and sniffs it. And she's like, orcs were <laughs> doing some old sorcery stuff here. Which reminds me of another movie, Tom, where they're tracking someone. And <laughs> they pick, they, it's, it's Chris Farley. Have you seen this movie? It's called Almost Heroes. I've heard. I've heard of it You've multiple of it? times. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you about it mm-hmm. off mic. It's fine. It's fine. Anyways, <laughs> okay. they, she discovers that some orcs are doing some like old sorcery stuff. And see, this reminded me of a different movie. Like it kind of has this like orc like all frozen into the wall. Kind of reminded me like Han Solo, like frozen in carbonite. Really, it's a pretty cool visual. Yeah. Okay. okay. We then find a symbol of Sauron, which is burning in the forge, and she's like listen he left this as a trail for the orcs to follow and Mm -hmm. that right hand man her second in command 
is like, listen, I know you love forges, I know you love burning symbols, but guess what? <laughs> we should go back to the High King because we've engaged in what we like to call mission creep, which is we set out <laughs> on a mission, uh, it got a little bit more expanded, so we went a little bit farther, and now we're like off the map, $3 billion in, and we're you know <laughs> fighting a bunch of different tribes of people that we didn't even know exist until we invaded this country. So... <laughs> he, he understands there's some mission creep going on here, but Galadriel needs to ensure that the enemy is fully vanquished. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we haven't really gone into this, and I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the actress's name who plays Galadriel, but she does a phenomenal job. What is it? I, just, I think it's pretty easy. It's, it's, it's spelled interestingly, but I think it's just Morphine Clark. Okay, sure. Morphine Clark does a great job. <laughs> Uh, playing Galadriel, I mean, very inspiring, like super cool. Mm-hmm. And we get into the super cool right here, which was probably, I don't know if I just love a troll fight in some sort of like old uh, <laughs> cave type thing, but um, we get to the snow troll fl- fight, which I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, like the design of the snow troll, super cool. It kind of took the cave trolls from the Lord of the Rings and just expanded on it and made them kind of their own unique design. We get this sweet deal where, like, she uses the right-hand man's, like, sword as, like, a pogo stick to, like, pop over the troll um, and just does all the sweet sword work and slashing and finally finishes him off with a dagger. Super cool. And it's, it's like, this is really the first big, I think, action sequence. Like, a little bit in that flashback with the uh, elves fighting all the orcs and everything. Um, but, like, if this is the kind of action we have to look forward to, I am I am absolutely on board. Yeah, it was very cool to watch. I will say that I would... Uh, ask people and this is not going to be anything that's very relevatory but uh, watch the show on the biggest screen you can find Um, i can tell (laughs) you that i am watching this not at my house and i wish i was back at my house where my tv is uh, a bit bigger than than the vacation rental (laughs) i'm finding myself in um i also did i I watched this with my mom and my wife tom (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and my mom, I love my mom, but at this point she was like, she didn't even get any blood on her, which I thought was the best reaction to watching Galadriel destroy, uh, destroy a, a snow troll. It was pretty great, but it's a sign of a good warrior, man. Don't mess up your clothes yeah, or your armor. Yeah, there you go. I was a little bit confused because that troll looked like he was wrecking shop. He was like breaking people against the wall. Were there no elf casualties? And I do know elves are supposed to be like more hardy and stronger and um like they don't die naturally they don't get sick but did it not feel like a bunch of elves were killed here but then they were all okay when they uh very quickly <laughs> become mutineers i mean some were like got thrown massive ice blocks at them one was like like jammed into a ball multiple times so they probably should have been but yeah maybe they're just uh they're durable yeah they're very durable we then get the mutiny scene where they all lay down their swords dramatically if you changed the music and you changed what was being said, you would have thought they were, like, honoring her. And um, But that's not what was happening. They were all like, listen, uh, we've gone a long way, mission creep once again, and we want to go back home because that snow troll almost murdered all of us. It didn't murder any of us, but it almost murdered all of us. And this is where I started to think, you know, as the captain of a company of people out in the middle of nowhere... When a mutiny happens, the best way to deal with a mutiny. Tom, 
I know you're not going to ask me, so I'm just going to tell you. You deal with a mutiny quickly with an iron hand, and what you do is you execute all the mutineers to win over the others. In this case, everyone mutinied, so she'd just be alone, and she'd get back home, and everyone would be like, hey, what happened to everyone else? And she'd be like, mutiny. And they'd be like, oh, good, you dealt with it quickly and with an iron hand, just like the book says. So, um, Listen, if there's, like, snow trolls in this, like, you know, base cave whatever it is there's probably like snow mice she would have had like the the uh the the respect of all these snow mice roaming around okay so you mean okay so kill the mutineers and then get an army yep. of snow snow mice classic <laughs> correct <laughs> uh i'm gonna i guess i'm gonna go back into the mutiny textbook and and rework some of this so get some at a footnote the, yeah not a footnote that's great is this then when we get the title screen is this then where yeah. we so so all of this has been before we've seen the opening of the show i just remember when it was like rings of power i was like wait what we're we're like 40 minutes in what's going on here but i think that yeah and we're like all an intro we're like 30 30 minutes into a podcast we've only hit probably the first five minutes <laughs> classic us oh we'll be fine tom we'll rush through all this <laughs> We then cut to All right, Julian. Where do we oh, where no. do we cut to next, buddy? Uh, Rovanian. I think All I right. nailed it. Sounds fancy. Rovanian. Yeah, the wilderlands okay, like yeah. east of Anduin. We see two Good. men walking with what seem to be moose racks on their backs. I guess. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. They're they're walking with it no problem. But good yeah. for them. Strong Dude's humans. Super heavy. And this is where we get the cool scene where like these two men are walking through a field. And then all of a sudden, a Harfoot village appears, which I thought was a pretty mm-hmm. cool effect. Yeah, and I think it's pretty clear, but like Harfoots are like the precursors of hobbits, like Homo sapiens are to Homo erectus or whatever. So like, Har- Harfoots are hobbits for all great <laughs> for all great purposes. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, I love the music that kind of cuts in. It's got like pan flutes and like I don't know, like just woodland kind of instruments that really sets the stage for the Harfoots every time you see them. And if it's perfectly with their vibe and they're one with Mother Nature, it's cool. And this is where we're introduced to, I guess, like the village elder of the Harfoot, mm-hmm. which is Sadik Burroughs. And he's looking at a book with symbols, and the symbols very, very clearly show <laughs> a man traveling with a moose followed by some wolves. And I was like, that's a pretty pretty good description of what just happened. <laughs> and they're discussing how travelers are a bad omen. They shouldn't be uh, showing up mm-hmm. at this time. Did you recognize the actor that plays Sadik Burroughs, Tom? No, I didn't recognize really any of these Harfoots. Okay. So this is going to be a deep cut. But for people that were raised on Saturday night watching the BBC channel with their parents, they would have watched Mr. Bean, which is Rowan Atkinson. And then for a little mm-hmm. while, they played a show called Chef, which lasted a couple of seasons. And the lead guy is an actor. He's a British comedian by the name of Lenny Henry. And this guy, I have not seen him since I was a child in Chef. Um, <laughs> but as soon as I saw him in this, I was like, I know that man. I know who that. And so for those of you that uh, deep cut watched a bunch of BBC or your parents watched a bunch of BBC <laughs> and you just happened to be home uh, when you were a kid. Uh, that's who plays Sadik Burroughs. More importantly, we meet Nori Brandyfoot, 
Uh, and she is like the lead, I don't know, troublesome teenager from the Harfoots <laughs> that like yeah. leads the younglings to go get some berries. We see the threat of some wolves, but they mm-hmm. don't die. They didn't dive too der- terribly deep into her character, but um, I'm just interested to see whether or not I will care as much about like the Hobbit storyline as all the other stuff mm-hmm. uh, in the same way as I've gotten older, and this is probably the wrong way of thinking about it, I cared less about the Hobbits in the Lord of the Rings <laughs> movies. Uh, anyways, we then, I think I could pronounce this one, Tom. We cut to Linden, although <laughs> some people pronounce it London, the capital of the High Elves. Thank you. Ah, I didn't know that. Elrond. <laughs> you sound like you're from London. <laughs> I think most of these actors are. Um... <laughs> They don't like to bring us Americans. And oh, I guess Elijah Wood's American, so that's something. We got one. Um, Viggo Mortensen, that's one. All right, I'm not going to list Americans that are in Lord of the Rings. It'll take too long. We're introduced to Elrond, who, once, in a, once again, between Galadriel and Elrond, those are recognizable names. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, he's writing some poetry under a tree, as a elf would do, right? That's something. <laughs> Yeah, it's, again, really cool shot. I use it in the trailers. Um, really cool tree with, like, the yellow leaves, the fall, whatever kind of going down. But I think we find out later what he's actually writing here is, like, the speech that the High King Gilgalad is going to give to the warriors that kind of come back. So, ultimately, he's uh, the king's speechwriter. I think sure. it's his current profession. Sure. Yeah, that's what the movie The King's Speech was about, uh, was Elrond <laughs> yeah. writing speeches for Gilgalad. I didn't even really think of this, but like, does it make you think less of the High King Gilgalad as you've thought of High King Gilgalad through your years, Tom, and all like the, blue, <laughs> the beautiful speeches he's given? Did you find it a disappointment that this show did the you know the gotcha moment where they pulled back the curtain and revealed that Elrond has been writing his speeches for all these years? I mean, to me, it was. I mean, <laughs> mine was blown. Well, I didn't get it on my first watch. I think this is a show that <laughs> I. <laughs> my first watch, a lot of stuff went flying over my head because I was just in all of like, the spectacle and trying sure. to make sense of the characters or anything else. But rewatching it again here and taking notes, it's like, oh, yeah, he's he's a speechwriter for him. He's the one writing all this poetry and eloquence that the High King is going to give later. So I don't know enough about the High King, uh, you know, believe it or not, to be able to say whether uh, I like him, I don't like him. Um, but I don't know. We'll we'll find out. I love him. I think everything about him is great. I like that Elrond also wrote speeches for Winston Churchill, little known fact. Um, ah. He is going over this poetry, and he's like, over the bones of a dead animal. And then he like crosses out dead animal. And I was like, dude, that is really not a good first draft. I mean, I think he ends up with like carcass or something. I was like, really? Bones of a dead animal? That was... Anyways, Elrond, he's a great speechwriter, done a lot of, <laughs> lot of great work later in his career. Uh, he's told he can't attend the next session. Uh, it's Elf Lords only. And this is where we see it mm-hmm. on his face that, like, he's obviously got grand plans for him and his um, career, I guess, that he is mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. wanting to be involved in. He wants to be an Elf Lord someday. Don't we all want to be Elf Lords someday, though, Tom? I know you oh, do. Oh, man. So, so badly. So badly. But I think this is just kind of telling us that when we saw Elrond in Lord of the Rings, we know he was like a high elf lord. And now this kind of lets us know where we are with him as a character. Sure. He's not there yet. He's just kind of trying to, to find his path and become more of a politician. I think El, uh, El, El, 
I can't pronounce his name, Elrond and Galadriel talk about a little bit later. Sure, sure. I think, yeah, we're supposed to think when he was younger, he spent all his time writing lyrics to uh, love poetry to Galadriel, and then he put those childish (laughs) things away, and he became the leader of Rivendale, which some people pronounced Rivendale, which is on the WB (laughs) Friday nights at 6 p.m., we are sponsored by uh, Rivendale, Riverdale. Is it Riverdale? Riverdale, the it's, CB it's Riverdale, show. Yeah. Um, so go watch that. And um, Galadriel shows up, Elrond and Galadriel. I think you mispronounced it, Tom, because I misspelled it in the in the uh, outline. <laughs> I think you were That's covering fair. for me, but um, Elrond. Yeah. You know, I type fast. Galadriel is opining uh, about going to uh, Valinor, the Undying Lands, and how awesome it's going to be. They're discussing all that, and uh, Elrond's like, listen, I hear it's a sensation greater than anything you'll ever feel in Middle-earth. And, Tom, I don't want to trigger you, but I'm starting to wonder whether or not these guys have tried cocaine, because, I mean, a sensation (laughs) greater than anything in Middle-earth. I mean, is there possibly... Uh, they probably call it something different, like um, the white dust of Longbottom or something <laughs> like that. Anyway, well, actually, at the end of the at the end of the episode here, where all those like birds are kind of flying, seemingly from the Grey Haven or Valinor, sure. those sure. are actually representative of little bags of cocaine. Oh, oh, yep. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I heard that if you play this episode backwards <laughs> while playing a Doors album. <laughs> then your mind blows up. Anyways, Galadriel tells him that she needs to speak to the High King and she needs to keep hunting and that the sign she found means that Morgoth is still around. Elrond's mm-hmm. like, listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak plainly here. Permission to speak plainly? Um, <laughs> your team didn't mutiny. Uh, you defied the king, so they were actually following mm-hmm. orders. You were the one that wouldn't stop the search well past what your boundaries were mission creep creep but (laughs) the king is going to honor you for your accomplishments so rather than trying go farther and creep creep Mm -hmm. let's just uh take the accolades that you're about to be given and and don't tempt him but she's like no i need a new company i need a new company of loyal cave troll mice um i had this (laughs) idea uh given to me by another I was like, listen, after a mutiny, aren't you as a leader like gonna like evaluate, hey, maybe I made some poor choices when like the fifteen other people I was with all decided not to follow me anymore. Uh and it made me think about the captain of the bounty, uh famous for the mutiny on the bounty. Um even that guy, I think, eventually he was given a ship. His name was William Blythe, but um he probably thought about it for a little while, like, Hey, am I really uh up to snuff to lead uh, his majesty's a boat, uh, but Gladriel yeah, true. Un, un, uh, undeterred by the mutiny that occurred not too long ago. Well, and the Captain of Bounty, I mean, he eventually, you know, found his true calling and made some of the most absorbent paper towels known to man, so. <laughs> yes. His so, goal, I mean, it was all, goal, all, all for the best. His goal was to wipe the sea <laughs> off the face of the earth. By absorbing it with his paper towel. Oh, perfect. Let us cut to the Harfoots, uh, who are wondering about their trouble being down south, and that's why there's travelers 
and I think this is a conversation with Nori, which we get the... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess every main character that's either Hobbit or Harfoot is going to be someone who's like, hey, I wonder what's past my front door. Like, that's kind of the theme of, of those people. But it's only like one out of the group. Everyone else is like, listen, <laughs> we're free of the world's like, worries. Um, people have passed by here. Everyone's going to leave us alone. Nothing bad's ever going to happen. That seems like a really poor uh, defense policy. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> but it is what it is. Nori dreams of adventure, uh, and she wants to see that grand, wild, grand, wide world. Yeah, which is, I think this is fun because it's just the, you know, just like Bilbo and I guess uh, to a certain extent Frodo, the adventure kind of being placed on him. Um, yeah, there's there's certain Harfoots or Hobbits that want to adventure and explore, and she's certainly one of them. Man, if I had one of those cool holes in the ground with like a pipe and a reading chair <laughs> and stuff, I don't think I would adventure anywhere. I'd just read about it in the safety <laughs> of my parlor after Levensies, but before lunch. We cut from there, and we have the Galadriel ceremony where she's rewarded for hunting down evils, King Gilgalad. Um, did you recognize this guy, Tom? Oh yeah, it's Channing Tatum's older brother, right? What? Do you I not do you not see that at all? No. I feel like he looks exactly like Channing Tatum. Oh really? Oh no, I didn't see it. At he's all. a lesser. He's a he's like like a lesser Hemsworth. He's a lesser Channing Tatum. He's a don't lesser think they actually Channing. have any relation. But man, there's some of these shouts where it's just, he looks identical. Okay. Just we gotta right. wait for the the King the King Gil- Gilgalad dance sequences, and then we'll know for sure. And then we'll yes whether or not when he removes his robe and he gyrates <laughs> whether or not he's truly a Tatum, and he goes about rewarding all these mutineers. He's like, hey, here's some leaf crowns for turning on your leader and uh, laying down your sword. <laughs> He then gives the speech about the days of war being over and the days of peace beginning. And I think this is where we hear him repeating Elrond's words, right? This is where we find mm-hmm. out that he's yeah. a speechwriter. And he's like, hey, guess what you've won? Look behind door number three. You get <laughs> passage to the undying lands of Valinor. Yay! The crowd goes wild. <laughs> And is, are these the same things as Greyhaven? Is it all just kind of like allegory for the same deal? Or is Greyhaven something different than Valinor? Tom, it's a great question. And I probably use Greyhavens in the wrong context during the Lord of the Rings podcast. So the Greyhavens is the port that the elves leave from to sail back to oh, Valinor. Oh, gotcha. So it is part okay. of Middle-earth, but you know, going to the Greyhavens means you're essentially leaving to go to Valinor. So... These gotcha. guys okay. all get to go where, like, Middle-earth has danger uh, and people, they learn the the name for death in Middle-earth if they get sent back to Valinor. That's essentially, like, heaven, you know, that's eternal life, mm-hmm. um, no evil, everyone just sings. I gotta be honest, anytime someone pitches uh, something like that, I'm kind of like, sounds kind of boring. A lot of singing, a lot of, lot of white robes. Uh, not sure, not sure if I'm into it. And you know who's not into it? Galadriel, because she does not seem very excited. In fact, it feels a little bit like she's being banished, but like to the coolest place possible. I don't know. Your thoughts, Tom? Would you go to Valinor in this situation, or would you still be hunting for the flaming M of Morgoth, not the flaming I of think- Sauron? <laughs> well, I, I love the conversation that she's going to have with Elrond here where they kind of talk through like why she feels it's a banishment, like that she still has stuff that she needs to accomplish here because she doesn't feel like within her heart that 
it's truly been banished or, or that the evil has been banished from middle earth and if she has to go to uh, valinor she's going to be constantly thinking about like what if what's happening over there because i guess it's a one-way ticket right like once you get there there's no coming back nope it's uh something ticket to paradise um <laughs> don't say it. wait don't say any more lyrics we gotta pay for it oh okay good Good, good, good. The conversation you're talking about, uh, Tom, takes place in a, a certain garden. A certain garden that is decorated with beautiful, beautiful uh, statues. Uh, mm-hmm. Describe this this beautiful garden to me, please. So they have all these statues of seemingly previous fallen warriors. And in one of the statues where she is kind of like hanging out, praying, whatever it is, is her brother's, Finrod, uh, which to me looks exactly like Robert Patrick, a.k.a. the T-1000 from Terminator 2. Like, I, saying it now, you may not necessarily see it, but go back, find a screenshot, rewatch the scene. That is the T-1000. So it's interesting to know that this shares a universe with uh, James Cameron's masterwork. That is interesting. It's also interesting that he used a dagger when he could have turned his hands into daggers the whole time. <laughs> so makes you kind of wonder if he would have known the exactly. full extent of his power, whether or not he would have let those orcs beat him to death. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, they, they have a, a very interesting like conversation here, which a lot of good lines are ex- exchanged. And mm-hmm. um, I will give you the floor, Tom, to hit me with some of... Because this is her, like, she's deciding, hey, I, I'm going to refuse the gift to go to to Valinor. Which he makes a comment, mm-hmm. no one's ever done that before in the history of uh, the world. Um, but she's she's got a job to do. She feels motivated to stay. Yeah, I think she tells her, like, that she's going to refuse this gift. And, and from her perspective, she's like, the evil is not gone from her heart. And that evil does not sleep. It waits, which is cool. We get that line that I think we had from the trailer, but we get the full line where um, Elrond tells her, like, listen, you fought long enough. Put up your sword. And then it cuts to her. And she's like, without it, what am I to be? Which is cool, powerful, was awesome in the trailer. I think it's how they ended the last trailer. Yeah. But then it does actually cut back to Elrond. And his response was... Uh, what you have always been, my friend. Which I think is, again, it's a nice sentiment, but it's it, it's not enough. It's just words to Galadriel at this point. It's not enough for her to say, like, your friendship is... And I guess it, it maybe it is to a point, right? Because she does ultimately board the ship. She starts heading down there um, and has this kind of battle between her. I think we even get a little bit of Elrond later talking about, like, the idea between, you know, the friendship that he has and the duty that he has to his position in terms of trying to convince her that she needs to go to to Valinor and not continue to talk up the idea of Sauron and, and the uprising and all that kind of happening. So he's kind of having to kind of pick his moment here to, I don't know, not betray his friend, but try to get his friend out of a, a rocky situation. Well, I just thought it was interesting that he's like, listen, you know, you're not going to be the person that wipes Sauron off the face of the earth, but you'll always be my pal. I was like, I don't know, <laughs> not a real strong argument. Um, and this is, of course, where we see Elrond and Galadriel enter the friend zone for the first time, just as Tolkien <laughs> wrote about. Um, he also the creator of the friend zone. You see it first uh, in the other series with Eowyn and um, Aragorn. They also enter mm, the friend true. zone. True, true. We cut to the Southlands, which we find is the lands of men. And Tom, give us the opening line of your favorite joke. <laughs> uh, two elves walk into a bar. 
uh, <laughs> which is just that was funny. It's it's going through my head as uh, our, our new character is it Arundir? Arundir, sure, that sounds right. D- depends on so, where you're from. Um, <laughs> Touche with the dialect, but yeah. seemingly is like Legolas 2.0, right? So they're just like elvish soldiers that are there to kind of protect or oversee these human lands. I don't know if I really understood like their occupation there. Yeah, so or I guess is it just that? From what they describe later on, from what I caught on the second watch, is there was a battle between Morgoth and the elves. This like set of of men joined Mar- Morgoth's side, so there has mm, been an okay. elf occupying force. Once again, mission creep. We went in there to be <laughs> liberators and to win their hearts and minds, and then we're in a policing action, and uh, it costs a lot of money. Anyways, um, <laughs> the elves are occupying because these men sided with Morgoth, and that's where um, when the High King declares the war over, no more Morgoth. They don't need to watch out to make sure these men don't turn back to him because mm-hmm. he doesn't exist. We get an interesting drunk guy at a bar shouting, and he used an <laughs> elvish slur, which we will not be saying on the podcast um, because it's just too offensive. Elves can use the term, but we cannot. And um, this is where we then meet uh, Bronwyn, uh, who is a healer, and there is clearly something going on outside of the friend zone with Aaron Deere <laughs> and Bronwyn. Uh, they mm. get some talking about, I guess his hand is hurt. She gives him some like, uh, healing flower seeds. Anyways, this is just building a moment of these two. Mm-hmm. Like one is an elf, one is a human. Uh, he has this great line where he's like, listen, listen, girl, great beauty is a healer of the soul. And anyways, it's quite a line. I wrote it down. I'm planning on um using it probably not in this life because um my wife won't let me but anyways um (laughs) well that's why you do nude modeling right because you think your great beauty is a healer to other people's souls yeah but that is me misunderstanding um what a soul (laughs) is and certainly the definition (laughs) of great beauty (laughs) which that classroom of people did not hold back um never seen so many people tip over easels before and 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 break uh, shading pencils um anyways Need a lot of shading lush <laughs> oh man those pink pencils um all right so we then meet the other elf soldier uh who obviously he's having this conversation about um aaron deer has uh obviously um been infatuated with bronwyn and he's like listen you can't fraternize with humans um, it's mm-hmm. only happened a couple of times, elf and human relationships in history, and it always ends poorly in death. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. This is when we get the message that the war is over. The king called game. Um, last person to score one, which was the elves. <laughs> and Aaron Deer, who has been stationed in this town for 79 years, is headed back. Uh, and he mm-hmm. has this interesting conversation with the watch warden um, who tells him, listen, it's not about what they did generations ago. It's about who they still are. So you can tell mm-hmm. there's a faction of elves that just think all men are corrupt and evil, which I'm pretty sure is a line from Elrond in um, in uh, The Lord of the Rings that he uh, mm-hmm. lets us know that men are weak and corrupt. 
Yeah, and I like that too because they do. It's it's not just like if you're going into this series new and you don't know about like kind of the mistrust that elves have for humans and humans have for elves from the Lord of the Rings movies, you get that pretty quickly here. Or right when he walks into the bar, he gets that kind of drunk uh, guy kind of coming up saying like I don't like you. It builds on that, and then it goes right here with the Watch Warden coming in and more or less repeating the same thing from the Elvish perspective. So there's bad blood on both sides, as as our gal T Swift would say. Sure. Sure. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> the only regret I have is that she did not do an original song for this series. Um, something tells me can. she's got a lot on her plate and probably does not watch The Lord of the Rings. Anyways, we meet <laughs> Bronwyn's son. Uh, his name is Theo, I believe, and mm-hmm. he does not like yep. elves. And yeah, I think we get kind of the same little bit where like he kind of rolls his eyes when he sees uh Deer kind of coming up to to visit Bronwyn here. Well, it's probably because his mom's single and a gentleman caller <laughs> is showing up. So Touche. Uh Aaron Deer, now that he knows that he has to leave the land, shows up and confesses his love to her and he says something and I thought this was just once again this guy's a wordsmith unlike Elrond. He's like, listen, I've confessed this to you in a thousand different ways other than words. And I was like, <laughs> what? How else have you been communicating? Someone tell Aaron Deer that she is not psychic and can't read his mind. Um, and then someone shows up with a sick cow and we're off. Um, oh, I was going to say this was a sick cow from the West Pasture, but that was uh, a different cow. And Tom, what's this cow? They're really upset about what this cow's producing, but I would say, I mean, advantage, right? What is this cow producing? I mean, it appears to be some delicious dark chocolate milk that, I mean, dark I would die for. <laughs> dark chocolate milk. It was viscous. Straight from the udder. Oh, man. It was like melted chocolate. Um, apparently, this one was not grazing in the west pasture, but was ways, uh, grazing out in the east pasture. Um, mm, Tillerson land. Tillerson land. So listen, if you haven't listened, we did we did a recording for for first time listeners of Team Binge. We did a recording of the show Outer Range. So if you want to watch that one, also another Amazon Prime show, uh, you you can watch it. Go go check out our, our backlog. It's it's an adventure just like this. Listen, you're gonna discover you get two day shipping and the Outer Range. This Prime thing <laughs> is on hit, baby. All right, these guys then leave for a town called Horndern. The we then cut to Theo rummaging around at the bottom of the barn with was this the same guy from the bar? Yeah, same little drunk guy. Yeah. Okay, he's sober now and he's hanging out with Theo. <laughs> Theo doesn't know what happened to his dad, but what he does pull out of the bottom of the barn is a hilt of a broken sword that has bearing the mark of Sauron on it, mm-hmm. and he looks deep at the hilt as someone does when they pull out a broken sword. And what happens, Tom? He, yeah, he gets kind of like that Eye of Sauron moment where like it, it lights on fire. Um, it becomes like very menacing. The music kind of drums in. Like, do you know, do you have any idea what this sword is? Is this the idea of it was Sauron's sword or Morgoth's sword that got broken? Or is, I have no idea what they're trying to play at here. But I, I like the idea of kind of Theo potentially finding this and kind of becoming mystified by it. No, I don't know. The only broken sword I know of, we talked about, uh, Isildur, uh, Isildur's father's sword, uh, which then mm-hmm. becomes Aragorn's once it is reforged. 
I can only assume that Theo is Sauron's son, and that's where this is all going. Um, ah, interesting. That's Plot not a real. Twist. That's not a real theory, uh, because <laughs> Theo and Sauron look a little bit different. Uh, but I haven't seen Theo in armor, so I guess I don't know. And to be quite honest, I haven't seen Sauron not in armor, so I don't know what he looks like. Um, we cut from there to Gladriel sailing for Valinor, and mm-hmm. Elrond and Gilgalad have a little chat. And this is what you alluded to earlier, is is that mm-hmm. um, Gilgalad's like, listen, if she would have stuck around, she would have continued to spread the fear of the evil that she hoped to, like banish or get rid of and mm-hmm. i was like okay that's interesting so this was a political move to send her to uh, valinor and once again as you mentioned this is where elrond is kind of speaking of his friendship to her um i think we do get a line from him where he's like she has passed from my sight and i was like oh all right <laughs> legolas been hanging out with this guy <laughs> Gilgalad is then talking to Elrond about a metal worker or some guy that's really good at making swords. His name is Celebrimbor. And spoilers, Tom, but do we think we know what this guy's going to be making if he's someone that's really good at crafting powerful things? (laughs) Probably some rings of power. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, they, they mentioned that he's like a maker of fine swords and armor. Um, and like what Gilgalad says is like, you need to work with him on some new uh, project of great importance. So he doesn't necessarily know Elrond quite yet, but I think the audience clearly can draw the conclusion here. What I thought was interesting is Elrond wasn't like, okay, with these new duties, like, is there an increase in salary or title? Um, <laughs> you know, I've got a lot on my plate right now, writing your speeches, you're adding things to my plate because you fired the other blacks, blacksmith apprentice. Um, he should be he should be watching out for his own career in this situation. I think I don't think it's it is too much for him to ask for uh, a little bit more. Maybe ask for a ring of power for himself. You know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That yeah. turns out maybe ask point. him for the one ring. Um, we cut to the Harfoots. <laughs> Elder Sadek is talking about stars and something being afoot. Nori sneaks in and he tells her that the skies are strange. And I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I saw this in the trailer. Um, let's not dwell <laughs> here. Let's then move on to Arendil and Brawin as they are walking along. And he confronts her about her people's past. This is where we find out mm-hmm. that they were kin having ties to Morgoth. And she's like, nah, not my hometown. I'm from there. Everyone's super cool. And he's like, listen. <laughs> Because you are the only person that's kind to me, the only reason I'm making this trip without the rest of the guard who would just go in there and slaughter <laughs> a bunch of fools, I am mm-hmm. traveling with you. So you're kind of like, okay, he's, he's, he's a good guy. Um, what's not good is the village is on fire when they arrive. Yes, and, not great. Well, it might be good if they that was their intention. If they were like, hey... Let's let's make all new buildings, and they're like, all right, and they set it fire. That would, I mean, I guess you can't assume the negative if a village is on fire. Maybe they were all cold. I mean, we didn't we didn't see people like running around like celebrating and everything. It didn't. It seemed a bit dire, but I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll start with the celebration there in the next episode. I'm never a guy that looks at things on the surface. Tom, I like to dig a little bit deeper. So I'm gonna assume everyone everyone in those houses was just cold, and now they're really warm. 
the Sundering Sea is where we cut to next. And Galadriel's uh, mutineers are all (laughs) doing some sort of undressing ceremony so that they can be. I did find one part where they strip them out of their white gowns and they're wearing like the same white gown underneath. I was like, are we (laughs) in an SNL skit? That's a little bit weird. Um, She struggles to give up the dagger. Uh, which is mm-hmm. uh, which is once again kind of an SNL like the passive aggressive like please let me take this dagger <laughs> from you and yeah. uh, a lot of glowing lights and cocaine birds as you pointed out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this is really like crescendoing to them hitting Valinor here, and this light is bright. Like it's almost like something opens up in the background to just shed in all this and everybody's just staring at it my thoughts were like listen you're not supposed to stare at bright lights Mm-mm. it's like an eclipse there's probably yeah. some eye damage going on here right i agree yeah this also gave me some like suicide cult um um a little <laughs> yeah. bit of like hey guys since no one's ever come back from this fiery circle we're sailing into <laughs> do we really know where we're going like maybe let's question That's uh, fair. what we're being taught and why we're in white robes <laughs> and why no one is ever going mm-hmm. to see us again um, <laughs> we then have a flashback and this is where Galadriel has the conversation with Finrod mm-hmm. and I think this is where we get the line about you need to touch the darkness in order to know what, mm-hmm. what light is and this is then where she does a sweet dive into the water oh she has like a choice here her like right hand man is like reaching for her and she's like nope mm-hmm. and then she takes the dagger and jumps in the water and it's pretty funny I mean, she does jump into this water, and my thought was, I mean, that map picture they showed us, it was a pretty vast ocean. Uh, she's dead, right? She she drowns? Yeah, no, no, no. But everyone... She's gone. Like, no one knows, because they're like, oh, she's in Valinor. <laughs> so, like, yeah. um, unless the body washes ashore, like, months later, <laughs> which that would be... This actually, Tom, episode two is a gritty crime drama where Galadriel's body <laughs> shows up ashore. And Elrond, the detective, has to figure out the whodunit. Um, and I'm it in. somehow involves Ted Lasso. Uh, speaking of Ted Lasso, we did a Ted Lasso podcast, if you haven't listened to us before. Uh, that's our bread and butter. We're much better at the Ted Lasso lore than we are the Lord of the Rings lore. But mm-hmm. welcome to the show. <laughs> All the characters in this show get to see um, Bebop. Was Bebop the, what's the comet? What's the comet flying through the sky? Um, Hailbop, Hailbop, or Hailbop. I'm assuming this, since this is a suicide cult. It has something to do with Hailbop. Are we allowed to joke about that? Probably not. All right. Uh, a lot of fireballs in the sky. Everyone sees it as a bad omen. Uh, Gilgalad picks up a leaf. <laughs> Which Stop. the leaf to me it seems like it's got like Moana's disease. It's like blackish. <laughs> And getting taken over, so I don't know. We'll have to keep an eye out for The Rock and uh, others. Um, That's but then call- I think, yeah, so go ahead. That's a callback to Moana the movie that Tom and I did not podcast about because we're not <laughs> brave enough. Uh, where all the coconuts are dying. But yes, I had, I had a similar thought. Actually, I had a very similar thought to what you're about to hit right here, which is what Nori finds <laughs> um, in a burning circle on the ground. 
Yeah, so she, finds, she gets to the crater site, if you will, and it is a bearded man just sitting there in the forest of this fireball. And my thoughts were, since we, as a, a group of friends, me, Julian, and some of our other friends, recently played Diablo 3, yeah. uh, this reminded me of Tyrael just fi- uh, falling from the sky and then you going on your initial quest. So, Damn, I had the exact uh, same great. thought. I was like, oh, it's Diablo <laughs> 3. Here we go. Let's kick it off. <laughs> But like this has to be Gandalf, right? Like, is that is is that your your thought? I figured they're going to try to do something else to try to um, connect it to the original series or the original series of movies. And isn't the idea that Gandalf was kind of sent down to Middle Earth to rid of this evil or be a part of that? I, I'm going to have to go with your impression. I'm not up on my Gandalf lore. I didn't even know Gandalf okay. was a part of this show, so. Um, I mean, well, I don't know if he is. They haven't said it. They had a, like I think the actor. If you look at credits, he's just called the stranger. I think he's oh. just going to be like a, a storyline with the Harfoots and with Nori here. Okay. Um, but I but everything that I've kind of seen and read, which I, again I'm not trying to get on spoilers or anything, but I do think that this would be a cool kind of young Gandalf or his introduction into Middle Earth. Sure, sure. No, that would be awesome. Um, and that concludes the first episode. I honestly, I thought it was well done. Um, I don't, once again, I'm divorcing myself of like trying to like Tolkien lore this and like critique it from Mm -hmm. that side, just as like a fantasy show, the things you're asking for, like, Hey, does the story move? Am I interested in the characters? And most of all, like, does it look good? Because if it, Mm -hmm. like, if it looks good, if it's well shot, like that does a lot of the work, um, much like a podcast, if it's well shot, um, and looks good, <laughs> then you're you're perfectly fine. Um, but no, I, I'm 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 excited for uh, episode two. I don't feel like, I mean, I don't feel like I have a lot of questions because I just don't know where the series is going to go. Um, mm-hmm. But I think if we follow, if we follow Galadriel, who is like a strong character and looks amazing and like is doing some cool stuff, if we follow um, Aaron Deer. Uh, that character is like they made him up for this series. Um, so Aaron mm-hmm. Deer and Bronwyn, like I, I, I'm interested in those storylines. Where they go with the Harfoots, I don't know. That's just not necessarily my cup of tea, which is probably not surprising for anyone that has listened to me for more than five minutes. <laughs> um, but I'm still, you know, I'm interested in how that develops. Certainly, because they added an element here of this bearded uh, meteor at the end. So um, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see where those storylines go. But um overall i mean tom did you enjoy it yeah i did and i'm i'm glad that i'm glad that we're potting about it too because it's it's eight episodes it's nothing that we'd have to put crazy amounts of effort in it's not no like effort a into we don't put any effort into it. <laughs> well i'm thinking like some of the other shows that can kind of be a slog i don't feel like this one's gonna be i was admittedly scared of all the different names and areas and faces that we were gonna visit through this i thought it would become a little bit too much but i'm with you i like being able to just take the show in for what it is. Uh, we'll try to do some lore as we continue on this journey, um, but just do lore when we feel it's going to add value and just kind of open up the world a little bit more. But I don't think you need it. I think they did a good enough job of keeping a general audience um, still engaged in the content, even if you're new to the franchise. Right. And Tolkien's like the lore is so detailed that like you can get so bogged down in it. So in order to like wrap mm-hmm. it up in a package that for normal audiences like is digestible and fun um like 
once again, if, if we want a history book or if we want to go watch a documentary, this is not like rings of power is not your thing. Um, but if you want to <laughs> have something like entertaining and fun and um, dig a little bit deeper. And I do think like, I'm interested to see, we've talked about this, how like the fun things about fantasy stories is how you can take like important characteristics about courage um, and, and like dealing with evil and those types of things and how they put it in a cool landscape. Like I'm interested to mm-hmm. see whether or not this show like goes deeper into those and, and we get some of that. I don't feel like this first episode, like there wasn't a ton of stuff that I was like blown away by in terms of like those deeper meetings, but I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt and I'm interested to see where they go. I mean, anything where it's light versus dark, like those themes are always, you know, interesting. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with that. Uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, we appreciate it. For those of you that have been with us for over, I don't know, a year now, which is crazy to think, um, <laughs> you can, we love engaging with you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Team Binge. You can email us at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. Tom will let you know what our Instagram handle is. But we also want to give a shout-out to um, those of you that have just supported us by listening, um, and we really do enjoy the engagement. And there are those of you that, like, actively, like, push us on to your friends and family. We think that's hilarious, and we also appreciate <laughs> that. Um and then, uh, you know, if you want to, I think Apple Podcasts allows you to review. Um, if you hate us, don't review us. Uh, if you like <laughs> us, you don't have to review us either. But um, I recently read a couple of the reviews, not that I'm supposed to, and I thought it was very funny. Uh, Tom and I are just two friends that enjoy talking to each other, and this is an excuse to at least once a week get together and talk. And, and that's the main reason why we do this. So. Uh, Tom, mm-hmm. I appreciate you doing a bunch of legwork for this one, and this was your idea, and it's been great, and I'm interested in the next seven episodes and, and how they go. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely, man. No, you said it all very, very well. Yeah, like I said, uh, Twitter, Instagram, that's probably where our most uh, active social is. You can find us on Instagram at Team Binge Podcast. And, yeah, engage. Have fun with us. Let us know uh, if you want to do more lore, less lore. Uh, if you have any questions about the series that um, is – kind of bugging you let us know we'll we'll kind of dive into some of these mysteries together uh but always a good time and uh thank you julian all right until next time tom have a good one the rest of you have a fine one (laughs) bye everybody